might not know that one as well as I thought either, just so you know. I don't, no worries there. But I know that my name is written there, so I'm happy about that. Uh, good morning. Yes, that's the encouragement that I need. You know that I, I go to Eastridge all the time, and Charlie will get up there and say good morning, and you know it's just like he didn't say anything at all. It's 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 uh, and they had three hundred people there. It's very strange, but uh, but I'm very encouraged by y'all. Every time we come here, we are encouraged and excited to be here, and happy to to deliver this lesson today. If you want to turn. Uh, over to uh, Matthew chapter 13. That's where we'll start in just a moment. A couple of of quick announcements. Uh, We are going to Kansas, as I announced in uh, Bible class. We'll be going there to Iola, Kansas, to help the congregation out there. We are leaving this uh, Thursday. And on our way, we're going to pick up Katie. Katie is with her uh, her friend up in, I don't even know where she is, up in North Tennessee somewhere. What? McKenzie, Tennessee, that's what Christy says. Uh, but they are celebrating her friend's birthday, and so uh, her friend came with us when we went to Washington, D.C. She's going up there, going to some safari uh, park or something, getting licked by giraffes, it looked like, in the picture. I don't know. But uh, that's where Katie is uh, today. She's up there um, with with her friend and, and worshiping up there. Um, and then I have a, a happy announcement to make in that... And, Austin, who you all know, Austin Fowler, who's been coming here and preaching some. I think I'm allowed to make this announcement, and I'm getting yeses. Uh, he will be uh, becoming more of the permanent uh, person here uh, coming uh, Sundays and Wednesdays, I think. And, uh, and he will be uh, preaching all the time, beginning at least beginning in January, if, if not sooner. So uh, when you see Austin next week, we're willing welcome him. Uh, he is a bright young man, and he is an excellent uh, Christian and sincere evangelist. He, he just baptized two more people in two separate studies this past week. I'm always getting text messages from Austin and in, uh, from studies and, and baptisms that he's being a part of, uh, and I'm sure that he will be a great asset uh, to you here uh, in doing the work of an evangelist and, and a preacher. And, uh, and I know that he will be a blessing to you. So encourage him uh, as he comes. And then every once in a while, invite me back to come and, and speak. Uh, even if there's sirens in the background, I can, I can handle it. So, uh, but when Austin's not able to be here, please do uh, call on me uh, every, every so often. We, we love to be here uh, and, and be encouraged by y'all. I think that's all the announcements that I was asked to make. I get stressed out when people say remember stuff because one time uh, I had an elder come up to me right before I spoke and said, okay, we want everybody to move to the front. So we want the first thing you do to be to announce that when you get up there, they'll do it if you tell them to. So you tell them all to get up and move to the front. Um, I said, well, that's not a very good way to start. Like, I I don't know any of these people. And and I guess... uh, I decided not to do it because I, I just it absolutely escaped my mind until about midway through when he was looking at me like this the whole time. And uh, at that point, I realized that I had forgotten it. And you can't stop in the middle of a lesson and ask everybody to move up. So I felt pretty bad about that. But it, I, ever since then, I get stressed out when people ask me to make announcements. But nevertheless, uh, we're going to get started on the lesson. And we're going to talk about the parable of... Uh, 
the mustard seed. I think whenever the Bible repeats something, uh, which it often does, but if it repeats something twice, it's something that we ought to uh, kind of sit up and pay attention to. And there's three times where this parable is is recounted uh, in both Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. And I think while it's a short parable, uh, there there are certainly lessons that we can gain from it. And so today I want to spend a little bit of time looking at the parable uh, of the mustard seed. And beginning in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31, it reads, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then if you look at Mark 4, verses 30 through 32, it says, And he said, With that, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And then again in Luke chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, it reads, He said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Very similar accounts of this parable. Uh, Not a whole lot of new information given in each one, but repeated three times, so definitely something that we need uh, to pay attention to. And Matthew, which we're going to focus in on Matthew's account here, Matthew places this parable in the midst of a group of parables about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. These these are terms that are used interchangeably. And in this case, he's talking about uh, the church. He starts out, Matthew uh, chapter 13, by saying that the parable of the sower, or oftentimes we say the parable of the soils, right? He's talking about spreading the seed uh, around. He then talks about the wheat and the tares. He talks about the parable of the leaven. He talks about the hidden treasure. He talks about the pearl of great price. He talks about the net. And he talks about the householder. He's revealing information about the spiritual kingdom that is about to come. He's revealing information of how the church will be. What will one day, very soon, as he's saying these, be the church. And he's bringing different aspects out about this kingdom. Uh, Of course, now the church is established and Jesus is the king and our headquarters are in heaven. He brings out these different aspects throughout Matthew chapter 13, that that some soils are better than others and we're not discouraged. We just continue to to sow the seed. Uh, Sometimes it it even looks like it's going to to grow, but then it it doesn't, right? It withers and dies as the sun hits it. So he he talks about parable of the soils. He talks about the fact that even in the church, and we talked about some of these things in Bible class today, maybe maybe it comes out because it's on my mind from studying this lesson, but uh, Satan will sow seed uh, of weeds in with the church, right? And he says those are going to come up together, the wheat and the tares, right? I, for a long time, I used to, to not realize that that's talking about the church and that the, the judgment when there's the gathering, right? The, the tares are going to be thrown into the fire and the, the wheat's going to be gathered, right? 
Well, that's, that's talking about the church. And when you think about it, Satan would want to put enemies in the church. Enemies of God, enemies of Christ. Those who work against us, certainly from the outside, we can see that, that people are working against us, the government, and, and all sorts of things all over the world. Not necessarily our government, but it could be our government too, uh, is, is working against us and working against the church. But, we, we naturally expect that from the outside, and when something happens from the outside that, that isn't against the church, it's a pleasant surprise. But we don't expect it as much inside the church, but certainly that's the, the implication of this, this parable here. And that's where Satan would want to put his agents, and so it makes sense. He talks about the leaven being added to the, the two measures of meal so that it will, will grow. He talks about this the kingdom being like a treasure that you have to seek after, that you have to pursue, uh, and that it's the pearl of great price. It's worth all that we have. Once we found it, it's worth everything to, to gain it, to obtain it. That there's going to be a time of gathering, and at that time there will be reward and punishment, and that there are treasures in both the Old and New Testament teaches teachings and that Jesus is teaching uh, the new starting here. And so it's covered that a mustard seed is the smallest seed shown, known, but it is, it's not necessarily the smallest of all seeds. If you look at all seeds everywhere, I, I read uh, Google's a very powerful tool. I googled what's the smallest seed and it's actually an orchid seed, but the mustard seed is the smallest of herbal seeds. And uh, it's the smallest of the seeds that you'd probably be planting uh, in in your your garden or your vegetable garden, right? And it was a pod-bearing herb which the Jews in Palestine planted in their gardens, and it could grow between five and ten feet tall, and it would branch out and to the point where it's mentioned here multiple times that birds would even make their nest in the garden in the mustard tree or the mustard shrub Uh, and if it was cultivated it could get even bigger uh, and wider than 10 feet it could be uh, like a thick shrub that you have in your garden and and much larger than all the other herbs uh, that are grown in the garden jesus uses mustard seeds multiple times and it's it's almost thought that this was a fairly common analogy that was used during this time this idea of the mustard seed being tiny but growing a large plant. And he says that in Luke 17, 6, as he's talking about faith. He says, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell this tree right here to, to get up and go plant itself by the sea, and it would uproot itself and go do that. I like that, uh, that verse because I kind of think in my mind as I'm picturing Jesus talking to them, and he says, you could tell this tree, I almost feel like the tree would be like, okay, I'm standing at attention, you know, like maybe the tree even moved. It's like, did you want me to go plant myself by the sea? Because that's the kind of faith, of course, that Jesus had. But that's, that's how I picture that happening. But his point is, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, right, you could do these great things. And so I want to take a few points, five points, I believe, out of, uh, of this section of scripture. And the first of those is that the kingdom would start small, but it would grow throughout the ages to be very large. 
we look at Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2 and verses 31 through 45, there's the famous uh, story of him interpreting the dream, both knowing what the dream was and interpreting the dream for the king. Right, And we see the different kingdoms. And towards the end of that, he interprets the king's dream as this prophecy about the different kingdoms. And he, he reveals that there would be a small stone that would come forth, but fill the whole earth. It would take down all the other kingdoms. And don't miss the significance of that, this small stone. And remember what Jesus told Peter. Remember, he named him Peter, Petro, small stone. And he says, upon this confession that you've made, that Jesus is the Christ, I will build my kingdom. That small stone, that same idea. Just as you shouldn't miss the significance of when Jesus is taken, he's taken in the garden, right? And he's going back, you think about where did we lose our our innocence? We lost it in the garden when, uh, when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. So we see here, Jesus is building the church upon that confession. And we see that fulfilled, of course, in Acts chapter 2. And in Jerusalem, there's the sermon that's given. The part from Peter is what is recorded there. And in verse 41, we see 3,000 people obey the gospel. Now we think that's a lot of people to be baptized on one day. But that's a small beginning for what it would eventually become. But the kingdom will continue to grow as long as the gospel is preached, right? And you look at the beginning in Acts chapter 2, near, I think it's right around verse 10, I want to say. But Acts chapter 2, and there's a long list, uh, it's starting verse 9, talking where everybody was born, uh, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt, parts of Libya and Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews, proselytes. All these people are here and they're obeying the gospel in Acts chapter 2. Those 3,000 people, they're going to leave and they're going to spread the gospel throughout. And it's not just large groups of people that that happens to, right? Philip goes in Acts chapter 8 and he speaks to the eunuch who's from Ethiopia. He's traveling uh, back to Ethiopia. He's converted. He obeys the gospel. Well, he's naturally going to go back to Ethiopia and spread the gospel there. And that's how the kingdom is going to grow. It's going to start small. Sometimes it's with one person and it's planted in, in a whole kingdom as it was with the Ethiopian. But we see this. That's how the gospel grows and that's how it spreads. It's not always through these giant leaps. It's oftentimes starts very small and one cannot predict through even generationally how that's going to uh, grow. Also, we see that individuals should continue to grow. In Second Peter 3.18, it talks about us growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have to continue to, to grow as Christians, right? We have to allow that mustard seed that was planted to grow into the large tree. We can't stop growing. We have to continue to push forward and grow in knowledge and in faith. And when our knowledge increases, our faith grows. Our faith grows as our knowledge increases. 
And when our faith grows, love will grow. In other words, as we become more and more faithful to Christ and how Christ was, you think about the love of Christ. That's what we're striving for, right? That's what we we long for. We want to have the love of Christ. Well, who did Christ love? Christ loved people who spit in his face, who hit him, who beat him, who hung him on a cross, and he allowed that to happen. Do we have that kind of love for our fellow man? It's hard to, to gain that. It's not something that you just flip a switch and you have, right? It's something that you have to study to show yourself approved. We have to grow in faith. And as we grow in faith, we grow in love. Uh, and that's Second Thessalonians 1 and verse 3. So that's the first point, is that things start small. But the second point is that small things grow into great things. Uh, for this, I'm looking at, at Zechariah verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 10, where it says, Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Which is a fun word to say. Try saying it five times fast. Not right now, but, but later. Zerubbabel. Uh, in this section, he's saying you may despise the day of small things. In other words, when you're planning and when things don't look like they're moving forward, things look like they're stuck, you're stuck in a rut, stuck, stuck in something small, but you're going to see the day when the plumb line is in the hand of Zerubbabel. In other words, when we start building, in this case, the temple, right? But when we're starting to build on the plan of Christ that Jesus has put forth for us, as we build upon that, we're going to see great things, great changes in people's lives. Things may seem small, but we don't know the greatness and the big, how big those things can get. When we think about the earth, it is made up of just individual grains of sand, of, of small pieces of dirt. The ocean is made up of drops of water, right? And our lives are divided into minutes and seconds, just small pieces of our lives, and we can use those to the glory of God. We use those small pieces of time that we have to build something great. You know, there's even a, an idea like this in the financial world. It's called the snowball effect, right? And that's the idea that you start start with a small amount of money and, and as that gains interest or, or gains through whatever the stock market or investment in, in a business, that it's going to get bigger and bigger as it rolls downhill. Uh, the idea of I start a small snowball rolling down the mountain and by the end of it, it's able to take out the cabin at the bottom uh, of the mountain. But that snowball effect really does happen in the church as well. Generationally, we see uh, things things happen. You might convert one person, and that person may not convert very many people, but they may convert their, their son or their daughter, and that person may go on to be, uh, their, their son may go on to be a, a great evangelist who, who converts thousands of people. That's the snowball effect in the church. So small things grow into great things. We look at 1 Corinthians 1 and verses 25 through 28, where it says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger. 
the men, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. You look, you look back at Old Testament history too. You look at the times when God said, you know what, I don't need this whole army to accomplish my goal. If you use the whole army, you might think that you did it, right? So he sends the army, parts of the army home in different sections. Because they want, he wanted people to know that it wasn't through this great army that they were able to assemble, that they were able to accomplish these things, that it was through God, God's protection, God's strength. And he does the same thing for us. Even if, if we feel small and insignificant, we have the power and might of God and we have the sword of the Spirit. Small things can grow into great things when we put those things in God's hands. And when we think about it, the commands of God are simple, aren't they? Uh, it's not some great thing. The plan of salvation consists of, of simple commands. Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, uh, Acts 22, 16, you know, rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. These are not complicated, difficult things. The worship of the church is not a difficult and complicated thing. It's characterized by simplicity, right? Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers, right? It wasn't that way in the Old Testament. It wasn't, we talked about that some in Bible class, right? It wasn't that way under the Levitical worship pattern, right? It was complicated and difficult and they had to follow exact Rules and they had to, to, you know, wash and do all of these things to purify in order to be able to do the next step. And they had to constantly make these sacrifices twice a day, more during the the festivals. It was complicated, right? But now we're under a better covenant, and it's not complicated. Our worship is is, is characterized by simplicity. The organization of the church is not complicated, right? Some people will say that's a, a weakness. That the reason some of these other organizations, other religious organizations, the other churches have a centralized organization, an association or, or a head somewhere. Different denominations call them different things, but we see them as these organizations, associations, a pope, whatever it may be, that there has to be some head, some centralized figure on earth that directs the operation throughout the rest of the world. We have that too. It's just that it's Jesus and it's in heaven. Our headquarters are there and it's directed through the New Testament and we don't need anything besides that. That's what God gave us and it's simple, right? It's not through some great organization that we have on church. It's through individual congregations ruled by elders and assisted by deacons and preachers and evangelists and members. That's not complicated. If it was complicated and we had some centralized organization, we would say, well, it's because of our centralized organization that we've been able to accomplish so much. But no, we're able to accomplish things because God is great. We accomplish it through what God has done. I think about Naaman in 2 Kings 5, verses 1 through 14. Of course, he had leprosy, and he came to the prophet, and and 
he was told, just go wash in the Jordan seven times. And he's, I got better rivers than Damascus. I don't, why do I have to wash in the Jordan? That's dumb. I'm not going to do that. And one of his servants comes to him and says, you should really just do what, is it, is it a difficult thing, what the prophet has asked you to do? You should really probably do what he said to do. And he does, and he's cleansed. Because there's, there's power in God, not in some complicated thing that we have to do. So I think that's the, the second point is that. Um, third, the Lord will make a record and will reward us for the little things that we do. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, right? He keeps watch on the wicked and the good. In Luke 8, 17, it says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And again, in Luke 12, 3, it says, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Right? So, the question to us should be, I mean, obviously, that should strike fear in our heart, right? Things that we say in secret, things that we do in secret are made known later. But, not just bad things. Good things are also made known. Good things that we do in secret. Don't miss that point. Uh, and in Matthew sixteen twenty seven, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to his works. Yes, there's going to be punishment, right, for wicked deeds. There's also going to be reward for good works. Revelation 20, verses 12 through 15, it talks about the books being open and how we're going to be judged by our works. Good things we do will be to our credit unless we lapse into sin. And evil things we do will be held against us unless we repent and obey the gospel. Uh, I think it's interesting, too, that those works that we do, they include our influence. They include the influence that we have on others, on our, our children, our grandchildren, our co-workers, people that we come across in the world, right? The, the Lord says in Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, the fruit that we bear, the influence that we have out in the world as we're talking to others and we're showing by our example. The Lord will make a record and will reward us for the little things that we do. Fourth, the church can be built up or torn down by little things. Uh, For this, I'm taking a look at Hebrews 10 and verse 25. It says, Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? We use this as a passage to encourage attendance and faithful attendance. And certainly that's an excellent Point, and we should have faithful attendance. And the Lord's uh, every time the, the Lord's people meet, we should want to be here. But why? Well, it's to encourage one another. We're doing things for each other. When we come together, we're here for each other. We're to interact in our lives. We're to be here to strengthen each other up, to build each other up as we are 
beat down by the world. That's a little thing, right? And you may feel like, well, I don't need to be built up today. I'm doing fine. But other people need your strength if that's the case. And you'll be surprised, too, I've found, as we get depressed or we get sad or we get tired, if we will do something for somebody else, it, it helps us. Isn't that interesting, right? It, we're encouraged. We're, uh, we have more energy and, and, and drive because we are doing things for others. It helps us. All the members attending all the services will do more to build up the church than will some things being done by a few in the church. Likewise, if all the members are giving as they have prospered, sacrificially, even though they may be poor, even though it may not amount to a whole lot, it will accomplish more then will the giving of a few wealthy members doing it out of abundance? And you think about giving as well. Giving brings blessings to us. The fact that all members are giving sacrificially, we're enacting that in our lives, that's a blessing to us. And we'll find that blessings come back to us more than just monetarily, more than just money coming to us because we were faithful in our giving but because we will have the blessings of being sacrificial. And we've incorporated that into our lives. We will grow in faith and love. All members living right and working enthusiastically in the church to build up the church by little things, even things that are not seen by people, they're seen by God, will do more than large efforts made by a a single or a few talented people in the church who who are putting forth monumental efforts. More will be done by the whole congregation doing little things than by one or two doing big things. And this is a this is true principle throughout the world, but it certainly is also true in the church. And then finally, the fifth point is that the reward of the righteous will be greater than the deeds just as the mustard plant is greater than the mustard seed. The reward that we're going to get for doing the things that God has told us and instructed us to do will be greater just as as the plant is greater than the mustard seed. Luke 18, 29, he said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So we know we're going to be rewarded, right, with heaven. But he doesn't just say that. He says rewarded in this life many more times and in the age to come eternal life. God doesn't ask uh, uh, some great thing, even if we have to dedicate our entire life, even if we have to give our life, in service to the Lord, even as a martyr, we will gain so many more times than that. There's nothing in this life that can compare to what is given in eternal life. When we think about verses like Psalm 23, right? Everybody loves Psalm 23. Well, part of that is because of my cup overfloweth. God gives us blessings that that overflow. Uh, Luke 6.38 talks about give and it will be given to you. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, right? It's like that old experiment or, or example that people do. They fill up a jar with rocks and they say, is it full? And they say, yeah. And then they put pebbles into it. And they say, is it full? They say, yeah. And then they put sand, right? And they say, is it full? I don't know by this point, right? And then they pour water in, right? That's how God's blessings are. They're, they're good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and then running over, overflowing. Or at the end of Matthew 12, where he talks about his yoke is easy, his burden is light. It doesn't always seem like that. Sometimes things seem pretty difficult, right? But compared to the rewards that we will get in heaven and the rewards we get in this life, not necessarily, again, monetarily, but spiritually, the spiritual food that we're getting will make us have blessings that are overflowing. God doesn't ask of us some great thing, some monumental task where we have to climb this mountain and and plant a flag. We don't have to do anything like that. He demands love and faithful obedience. And he offers so much to us in return. This morning, if you are are struggling uh, in, in your walk with Christ... I would encourage you to come forward and and make that known. We will pray with you and for you. If you just need the prayers and encouragement of your brothers and sisters, we will do that. If there's sin in your life that's caused you to fall away, we would encourage you to make that right and not go away here lost. And if you've never obeyed the gospel, you've never accepted the free gift, the grace of God through faithful obedience and putting Jesus on in baptism, we would encourage you to make that right. Uh, Come do that right now as we stand and as we sing.